The first use case you think about blockchain is payments, right? So that's the first thing you want to you want to do is show that you can secure a payment mechanism, just like Visa, Mastercard, but much more secure without middlemen, take away the fees, uh, offers economies of scale. So the more people use it, the cheaper it gets. The, the way we view the future of value in the long term, three to five to ten years, we view layer one blockchains will essentially become like the new republics. These will be the new mechanisms where all the value is going to proliferate to the future. There'll be the layer one blockchain, there'll be the mining market, there'll be the dApps, and there'll be tokens. So the lower you get in the stack, the uh, lower risk you have, but the lower rewards. The highest risk reward will be on the layer one blockchain, because that's where all the value will, 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 will flow up. But it's highest value, highest risk. We view layer one blockchains, which is Bitcoin, Cisco, Ethereum, as court systems. They need to be combative to the external forces that we don't control, even in the software world, in the real world, like inflation, hyperinflation, wars. These systems need to be secure from that. And this is why we view Bitcoin as the gold standard for security and decentralization. What else does the world need? You know, what else does the world cherish when you have something like Bitcoin? How can we extend that to something else where we can take advantage to build real world utility? This is where Ethereum comes in. For me, Ethereum is a gold standard for flexibility or general computation. We're trying to stick to the gold standards we know the world's gonna cherish and, and develop on, and we put those two concepts together. And this is what Syscoin is. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome, welcome. For those unfamiliar with who I am, I am that hotep Jesus dude. That hotep, that hotep, that hotep Jesus dude. And I have another wonderful, sharp conversation for you tonight. I have deputy, former deputy assistant to the president. Mr. Fofa, Donald John Trump. Tonight I have Sebastian Gorka. Sebastian, what's up, bro? Greetings. Thank you for having me, my friend. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure to have someone as influential as you are, as experienced as you are on a platform. I'm here to uh, learn about you and pick your brain. But before we get into that, you drop something in my DMs. Paul's no homo. We have here, is this breaking news? Yeah, this broke. It was, uh, I got a phone call about an hour ago from the head of justinnews.com, who uh, John Solomon, an amazing, true investigative journalist, and he sent me the breaking news. I posted it on all my, all my social media, and I thought I should DM you with the breaking news so we can at least touch upon it before we get started. FBI intel analyst tells Durham Agency offered Steele one million to corroborate the dossier. Now, who's Durham Agency? It's Durham. It is the independent counsel, John Durham, former U.S. attorney for the state of Connecticut, who was made special counsel by the DOJ before we left the Trump administration to investigate the uh, allegations against President Trump, the, the hoax, the Russia collusion hoax. He has been digging now for two years 
and he has dropped this bombshell in a court in uh, Arlington, sorry, in Alexandria, Virginia today. The, the trial started of the Russian uh, former intelligence officer, Danchenko, who was the quote-unquote source for the steel dodgy dossier against President Trump that Hillary Clinton paid for. And in today's trial, an FBI analyst called Orton on oath, he swore or sworn testimony that the FBI offered the disgraced former MI6 British spy Steele, Christopher Steele, a million dollars of taxpayer money, your money, my money, for dirt on President Trump. Uh, dirt that he couldn't provide because it didn't exist, but this is the first time ever since 1776, since the FBI was founded almost 100 years ago, that the Federal Bureau of Investigations paid a bounty of a million dollars for smear dirt on a president, my old boss, President Trump. Oh, you talking greasy on my channel. I got to watch my back during this stream. God damn. You said this the first time ever? First time ever that a million dollars, a million dollars has been offered to a confidential informant, in this case, a Russian national for dirt on a president of the United States. <laughs> wait, wait, let me reiterate just to make sure I heard that right. The FBI offered Mr. Steele a million dollars to take down Trump. Yeah. Is, that, is, is that legal? Um, I would say that is against the U.S. Constitution. That is against the oath of the Federal Bureau of Investigations. It is using smear tactics. It's using um, the most dirty political tool in the box to take down a man who was elected by more than 60 million Americans. That's, that's just, you know, that's bribing a foreign national to manufacture dirt on the person who was chosen as the chief executive of the United States. If this doesn't lead to the dismantling of the FBI, nothing will. In, in the midterms, if the Republicans take back the House and the Senate, they have to start by dismantling the FBI brick by brick. Because if they can try and do that against President Trump, they can do it to you, they can do it to me, they can do it to anybody. A million dollars for smear dirt to take down a president. Oh my Lord. Why would they want to do that? Uh, because President Trump is a threat to the Uniparty in DC. He's a threat to the Democrats for obvious reasons, and he's a threat to the establishment Republicans who don't like this guy uh, who comes from Queens and wanted to drain the swamp. So all those unelected bureaucrats who are very, very happy to be suckling on the teat of the taxpayer to the tune of billions of dollars every single year. They couldn't control my boss. My boss didn't belong to the unions. My boss didn't belong to big pharma or big oil or big tech. They couldn't control him, so they had to destroy him and take him down. Whether it was the original Billy Bush tape, whether it was the Russia collusion hoax, whether it was the Mueller probe, whether it was two failed impeachments, or whether it is the January 6th committee, they had to destroy him. And also, you're seeing this happen right now with the raid on Mar-a-Lago and the uh, attempt by the Attorney General of New York to take him down. They want to prevent him running. He, I guarantee you right now, I'm not breaking any news on Hotep Jesus' show, but my old boss is running to become the 47th president of the United States, not just the 45th, uh, 
and that scares the crap out of them and they have to try and destroy him wait 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 hold on wait back up a second did you just say donald j trump is going to be running again oh yeah he he, he doesn't hold two rallies last weekend he doesn't hold a rally every freaking weekend if he's not running he doesn't spend 10 million dollars from his pack to support america first MAGA candidates running for senate seats unless he wants to be the president again so i guarantee you right now if he is living if he is breathing if he has a pulse he will declare his candidacy and that's why the the bad guys the uniparty the swamp have to destroy him will he be the nominee oh yeah i mean look what he did last time in 2015 he destroyed all 16 of the quote-unquote republicans that ran against him so yeah no, no sane person will run against him not even ron DeSantis. so he'll get the nomination if they can't stop him and the, so he'll be running against kamala or hillary or even gavin newsom whoever the democrats slide in there as their nominee because it's not going to be biden the senile go guy in the white house is not going to get a second term the democrats know that he is a complete embarrassment so whoever uh, they choose donald trump will be running against that person um shout out to my sponsor says coin um can we expect a DeSantis trump ticket trump DeSantis ticket if ron is smart then yes, because if Ron, who's done a great job in Florida, um, wants to be president, and I think he does, then if he is the vice president on the ticket, then he can just slide into the White House in 2028. He will be the presumptive nominee because constitutionally, a president can only serve two terms, so President Trump won't be able to run again. So in 2028, Ron can just become the anointed Republican. However, there is a little a little kind of um, fly in the ointment. We have a, a constitutional requirement. It's a little bit of an oddity most people aren't familiar with. But a president and a vice president cannot be domiciled from the same state. So you can't have two people from the same state on the same ticket. So one of them will have to re-register their um, their primary abode. So either Ron or the president is going to have to um, change their mailing address from Florida to another. I mean, it's easy for the president. He can, you know, say that I'm living in Trump Tower. But right now, they both officially live in Florida, which means they can't be on the same ticket. But they they can fix that pretty easily. Mm, interesting. Would you would you suggest a Trump DeSantis ticket? Well, look, the conventional wisdom is the following that the vice president comes from a region of the country or a demographic that the, the top of the ticket doesn't naturally have. So you want to have, you know, a northerner as the president, a southerner as the vice president, or flip it. Uh, for, for the identity politics of the left, you've got a, you know, if you've got an old white guy like Biden, then you want to have a younger, you know, quote unquote, person of color who's a female as the vice president. So that's why they had you know, cackling Kamala as the vice president to, to Beijing Biden. I don't know if that tradition really matters anymore. It's just a kind of tradition to have a different geographic spread for the, for the person who's going to be the Veep. But I think, you know, we, we know what the president did for America, whether it's the economy, whether it's crushing ISIS, whether it's sealing the border. So his track record is given. We know that Ron has done an amazing job in Florida with COVID, with everything else. So yeah, you might see, you know, two people who are 
ostensibly from the same state on the same ticket. And if Ron Smart, that's what he's going to do, because there's there's no no Republican who's sane who's going to run against President Trump because they'll be crushed just like, you know, little old Marco Rubio, just like John Kasich, just like everybody else who ran against President Trump on the GOP side. So if Ron Smart, that's that's that should be his plan. Yeah, I couldn't imagine anybody else as VP. Um, yeah, I think you're right. I think <laughs> you look at his popularity in Florida, it just makes sense. Oh, man. Oh, man. Do we have a chance of beating the, the Dems and the, and the Dominion systems? It's, it's only if the elections are secure. So what I've been telling everybody on my daily radio show is, uh, don't bitch and moan. Don't just listen to talk radio and watch Newsmax or whatever, you know, your favorite podcast. You've got to get out there. You've got to be part of the problem. And I don't mean just, you know, getting your credit card out or writing checks. You have to be part of the solution. We have to flood the zone with election observers. If my, if my wife, who utterly detests politics, can volunteer to become a certified senior election official, to make sure they don't steal the election, then everyone should be doing it. So I don't care if you're an election official, I don't care if you're running for the local school board, but it's not enough to just be a spectator. You've got to be part of the solution. If you're not running, if you're not actively supporting somebody who, who's running, if you're not part of the election uh, integrity effort, you are part of the problem, my friends, because they will try to steal it. Mm. Hey, YouTube, just so you know, I believe the, the previous elections were fair and were run properly and secure. Um, let's get back to well, the... Just watch 2,000 Mules. I mean, if you watch the video, the, the, the film that I'm in, Dinesh D'Souza's 2,000 Mules, you, you've got the evidence, at least a quarter million, at least a quarter million votes that were illegally trafficked in states like Georgia, Georgia mm. where you are not allowed to ballot harvest or ballot traffic. Mm. And... and yeah, because of the Electoral College system, President Trump lost the election by less than 40,000 votes. At least a million were fraudulent. So, we, you know, the evidence is there. Watch the video. Oh. Watch, the, watch the geolocating data that, that Dinesh, uh, you know, put on the screen in that movie. 2,000 mules is all you need to know. And look, forget about the machines and forget about the videos of the people dumping you know, ballots into collection boxes. How about this? This is the only piece of evidence you, you, you need. Are you seriously telling me that a decrepit, senile old man who campaigned from his basement in Delaware got more votes than the first black American president? You gotta be smoking one of Hunter Biden's crack pipes if you believe that. So. We know they stole it because they've been stealing it since the 1960s when, you know, JFK's daddy, Joseph Kennedy, bought all the votes of dead people in Chicago and Philadelphia. They've been doing this for 60 years. Are you telling me that Joe Biden won fair and square? You, you know he didn't. Um, this is a, 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 a travel channel. And, you know, sometimes when you go on vacation, you got to rent some mules. And, you know, the mules, they take you around the mountains. They give you a nice view. So when you go on vacation, you know, ask your guide, hey, you know, can we get some mules? You know, um, you know, you might take a vacation with 2,000 people. You might need 2,000 mules for your vacation. This is a wonderful vacation channel. And uh, thank you for joining me today, Mr. Gorka. <laughs>
Yeah, yeah, mules are very useful if you're going up a mountain. Yes. Yeah. So, so, sorry, YouTube. It was absolutely fair and square. Sorry, guys. Yeah. You know, a, a guy who's been in politics for 47 years, who on a campaign platform mixes up his wife with his, his sister. Yeah, he's the guy that won the election. Absolutely. Certainly fair. Certainly Biden definitely won. Oh, absolutely. A man who looks for dead people in the room, looks for dead Congress women. Yeah, yeah, he, he won the election fair and square. <laughs> An FBI analyst told special counsel John Durham on Tuesday in federal court that the agency offered former British spy Christopher Steele up to a million dollars to corroborate evidence in his now discredited dossier that was central to a federal investigation into possible collusion with, between Russia and the 2016 Trump presidential campaign. The revelation uh, appears to show FBI, according to the testimony from intelligence analyst Brian Auten, had insufficient solid evidence for the FISA warrant uh, for Trump campaign advisor Carter Page in its investigation and used uncorroborated information to move forward with the probe. Wow. So what's going on with the... um? With the new, the new one, the Mar-a-Lago situation, is that a nothing burger too? Yeah, I mean, what what happened to that story? We we were told originally that it was nuclear secrets, and then we were told, no, 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 it's not. Sorry, that's too crazy. Uh, it's something to do with the Espionage Act, uh, and then we were told it's the archive records. You know, the, the, every story they spin collapses. And then when a judge says, okay, well, you took all these boxes, let's have an independent, quote, special master review the documents to see if there's anything in there that really shouldn't be there. And the DOJ, the Department of Justice, tries to block the special master. Why, why would you want to prevent a third-party independent expert from looking at the things you took from Mar-a-Lago? At the same time that we have the story about Obama's quote-unquote presidential library in Chicago, which still isn't open, where he has more than 30 million pages of classified documents that are now being stored in an unguarded furniture warehouse. So uh, Obama, no problem, but in Mar-a-Lago that is guarded 24-7 by the Secret Service, a president can't have his personal records. Again, it's what we discussed at the beginning of the, of the podcast. They need to stop him. And they thought this would be a way to stop him. But the whole thing is collapsing. And again, it will be a nothing burger for, for your viewers. I mean, I still have all the clearances I had in the White House. I have top secret SCI. Uh, there's, there's a very special aspect to being a president. Not only do you have the top secret clearances, the highest level, including nuclear secret clearance, when you are president, guess what? The American system allows you to keep all your clearances until you die. Jimmy Carter, who's still shuffling around at whatever it is, 95 years old, uh, Bush Jr., Clinton, Obama, all have their clearances. And guess what? So does President Trump. So the idea that he's reading stuff or keeping stuff he's not allowed to is bollocks, as we say in England. It is Bravo Sierra. It is BS. Mm. Okay, so I understand why the Democrats don't want Trump to get elected.
But what's the beef with Republicans? Why are they, uh, you know, so reluctant to support Trump? Well, it's it's what Steve Bannon has called the uniparty. If, if you live in this thinking city like I do, it's not two political parties. It's, it's one political party. Everybody is in tight with the lobbyists. Everybody's in tight with, you know, big oil, the Chamber of Commerce, the teachers' unions. They, they, they just want to, you know, they just want to make their money, make their millions like Pelosi, one of the richest people in America. And they want to be able to keep making that money with their sweetheart deals, their insider trading, footsie under the table with the Democrats. They don't, they don't want somebody to come in and, you know, upset the apple cart. They don't want somebody to come in and say, you know what, illegal immigration, we've got to stop that. The Republicans also want illegal immigration. If you look at the Democrats, they want it for votes. They think brown-skinned people from Latin America must be Democrats because they're racist. So they want to let as many people in who they think are going to vote Democrats. The Chamber of Commerce wants the same thing. Big business, Amazon, wants illegal aliens. Why? To work in their factories, to work in their you know, orange-picking plantations in California. Big business doesn't want Donald Trump to come in and say, secure the border, have E-Verify, uh, illegals get shipped out of the country, if you've got a criminal record, you can't even apply for asylum. But that's bad for that's bad for Democrats and that's bad for Republicans as well. So you know, Donald Trump is the outsider. He is a threat to not only Democrats; he's a threat to Republicans as well. Mm. All right, let's talk about Russia. Um, what's the difference between how Trump handled the Russia situation versus how Biden's handling? relations with Russia? All right. This is, this is a question I get asked a lot as, as former deputy assistant and strategist to President Trump. People say, what would, what would he do differently if he were the president now? And I just laugh. I mean, what do you mean, what would he do differently? If he were president, they wouldn't have stinking invaded in the first place. When, when did Russia invade other countries? They invaded when Obama was president. They took Crimea. They invaded when Biden pulled out of Afghanistan, leaving $83 billion worth of our weaponry for the Taliban. When we were in the White House, Russia did nothing. We, how about this for a metric of how different President, the, ma the man who colluded with Russia. When we saw, and this is unclassified now, you can read about it. When we saw more than 200 Russian mercenaries from the Wagner Group screwing around in Syria, destabilizing the Middle East, President Trump didn't want to invade. That's, that's the kind of thing a neoconservative Bushy would do. He said, what, what, is, what is Russia doing in Syria supporting a murderous regime like Bashar al-Assad in Damascus? He said, that's not a good thing. So what did he do? The great Russian colluder who was put in power by Putin, he told the Secretary of Defense, Jim Mattis, you know what? I don't like Russians screwing around in the Middle East. Kill them and kill them all. And we did. We gave Jim Mattis at the Department of Defense the green light to take out and kill and turn all of them into red mist. We killed more than 200 Russian operators in Syria. And what did Russia do? Nothing. Putin didn't even have a press conference about it. Why? Because he's afraid of President Trump. The trouble now is Biden is afraid of Putin. That's the big difference. 
when when we were in power, when we were in the White House, it doesn't matter. Russia, Iran, China, North Korea, they all behaved themselves. There was no ballistic missile launches over the Sea of Japan like there are every other day with the Biden regime. Look at ISIS. We were told by Obama, this is a direct quote, Obama, when he was president, said, ISIS is a, quote, generational problem, meaning you just have to live with it. Tough crap. They're beheading American journalists. Uh, tough. You just have to live with it. When we came into the White House, President Trump said, kill them, destroy the caliphate. We took the lawyers out of the way of Fort Bragg, Delta Force, the Green Berets, and we destroyed in five months, we destroyed the caliphate of ISIS, literally just flattened it, killed them, killed Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, destroyed the caliphate of a thing, of a threat, that Obama had said was a generational thing you just have to get used to. So, you know, I stole a phrase from the Marine Corps when I was in the White House, and I used it when I was representing my boss, President Trump. I said, America right now, no better friend, no worse enemy. Our friends, like Israel, were treated as friends, and our enemies were scared. And that's the way it should be. Right now, it's the opposite. Our friends are being treated like crap, and our enemies, well, look at what happened in Ukraine. Look at China. Look at North Korea. Look at Iran. They are making hay while the sun shines because the senile old man in the Oval Office is afraid of all of them. Let, all right, let's, 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 let's talk about that, this senile old man. I don't think he's all there. I don't think there's anybody home upstairs. So uh, I'm going to just assume somebody else is running the show. Is that someone else? Cause I don't want to know who it is. Is that someone else? Or is that group of individuals also afraid of Putin? Well, if you, if you look at, you know, who's in charge of the military, we've got that fat bastard who's an embarrassment to the uniform he wears, Mark Milley. Um, who, who's clearly afraid. He, he gives testimony in Congress where he talks about, oh, I like critical race theory, and, and, and uh, we should be teaching about white rage at, at, at West Point. Because he actually said this, quote, I'm white, and I want to know about white rage. He's not talking about understanding Putin or China. He's talking about understanding white rage in America. That's the chairman of the Joint Chiefs. That's the most senior military officer in the United States. Um, I posted a photograph of the Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin, at an event in Asia where, where this, this huge guy, I mean, he's like me, six foot three, he's probably 300 pounds, and he's standing there on a parade ground as a guest of the local uh, defense minister. And he's wearing a double mask, a double COVID diaper on his face, and a full plastic face shield. You know, our enemies look at that, and they call you a cuck. They call you a soy boy cuck, and they laugh at you. So, yeah, I would say Lloyd Austin, Mark Milley, all of them are afraid, including Biden. Oh, man. Um, super chat is we going to get to y'all. Appreciate you, Jeff. We going to get to you. All right. Um, I want to I want to I want to just back up in the conversation a little bit because I'm, I'm a little bit um, ignorant of some things. You were deputy assistant to the president. What exactly does that mean? What is your, what is your job description? 
right. So the so deputy assistant is just a rank. So it's it's like the equivalent of a three-star general. There's 40, 42, 43 deputy assistants to the president. Uh, that's just that's just you know like my pay scale or my rank. My actual title was strategist to the president. So I, I helped um, write long-term strategies in the field of national security. That's my thing. I've spent more than twenty years in counterterrorism. I've been training uh, U.S. military and law enforcement for for more than a decade, and my job was to come in there and assist with threats like China, like ISIS, like North Korea. So help plan to defeat those enemies and to advise the president on national security. That was my job. You know, there's there are deputy assistants for economics, there are deputy assistants for health policy. My job was national security. Okay, what's the following one on Putin? The TLDR on Putin, you know, uh, uh, I, I'm a, I like Putin. I don't know why, but I like Putin. Should I not like him? What, what's, what's up with dude? Well, look, it, it depends what you're into. If you like murderers and thugs and killers who uh, persecute Christians, I mean, I noted your name is Hotep Jesus. If you believe in Jesus, if you're a Christian, uh, you probably shouldn't like a KGB colonel because that's what he is. You know, he, he may look cool, bare-chested, riding on a horse, but he's actually a KGB colonel. He spent his formative years in the KGB. He's a pretty crappy KGB colonel, because if you're a good secret police officer in the Cold War, guess where you get posted? You get the cool postings. You get posted to Washington, D.C. You work out of the embassy in London. You go to Paris. This guy was like a fourth-rank, you know, second-grade individual, because they sent him to East Germany. They sent him to another communist country. They didn't send him to Western Europe to have fancy cocktail parties in Georgetown. He actually worked in East Germany. Um, he is a KGB colonel. He believes that uh, uh, Russia should be a great empire again. And the most famous quote associated with him, and this is all you need to know about Vladimir Putin. He said, the greatest, geo direct quote, the greatest geopolitical tragedy of the 20th century was the fall of the Soviet Union. So the regime, the system that killed tens of millions of people, mostly their own, 8 million Ukrainians were starved to death by Stalin, for example, that regime, that dictatorship, its dissolution is the saddest thing that Vladimir Putin has ever seen. Mm, yeah, Soviet Russia, I can't exactly say I'm on board with that. Hmm. I, I would hope so, because this would be a very, very short podcast if you were, because, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm the child of, of, of uh, parents who suffered under communism. My father was arrested, tortured, and imprisoned by the secret police in Hungary. So um, I, I don't like dictators, and I don't like communists. And I definitely don't like former KGB colonels. Mm, yeah, I, I study a lot of communism and I, I have to say I'm not exactly a fan at all. Um, and I'm familiar with the death toll. I'm familiar with, you know, the Soviet Union had become and et cetera, et cetera. Um, can, I, can I tell you this? I just found it on my phone. Okay. This is the American Secretary of Defense. Okay. This is Lloyd Austin. <laughs> Wearing a double mask and a plastic shield. <laughs> that, does that 
impress anybody? Do you think Beijing or Vladimir Putin looks at that and says, ooh, ooh, he must be a really brave guy. That's Lord Austin. That is the American Secretary of Defense. <laughs> that should look like something straight out of Star Wars. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, so Putin's bad, right? However, recently I heard him say something about you know, the West wants tea people and they're teaching all this debauchery and lechery. And, and he's right. You don't think that the West is headed in the wrong direction with all this stuff? Absolutely. But that doesn't mean he's a good guy. Mm. He doesn't he doesn't like, you know, gay marriage. Neither do I. As far as I'm concerned, marriage is a, with a man and a woman. That doesn't mean he's a good guy. I mean, guess what? The Iranian regime doesn't like gay people either and throws them off the top of buildings. I, I don't think that makes them a good regime. So he's very good at playing. Look, th this is the thing that drives me mad. I'm a conservative. I grew up under Margaret Thatcher in England. I look at Ronald Reagan as an amazing, amazing uh, American leader. Um, and and for, for me, those are the, the, the metrics. If you sound, if you give out sound bites, about Western civilization, that doesn't mean you're a good guy. When conservatives here, alleged conservatives say, oh my, Vladimir Putin is fighting the World Economic Forum. He's fighting globalization. He believes in Christianity. Are you talking about the same Vladimir Putin that tortured, that persecuted Christians? as a KGB officer, because that's what the KGB did to Chris. Are you, are you seriously telling me now that the, 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 the regime that he worked for, that he was a part of as an officer of the KGB, persecuting Christians? Why? Why was, then, he, why was he persecuting these Christians? A big Jesus freak and he loves Western civilization. No, he's just, he's just playing. He's just playing and he's a czar. He's the new Russian czar who will say things to placate certain audiences. But at the end of the day, he's, he's just a KGB colonel. Okay, so we had um, a monarchy in Russia. Then after the monarchy was some, some interim government. And then we get the Soviet Union. Yep. What exactly is the form of government running Russia now? Well, technically, it's a Russian federation. And it's basically a one-party state. You know, look, look, look at what he look at what he did. So when the re, when the regime fell in, in 1991, they had a new constitution written. They got rid of the Stalinist or the Leninist constitution, and they wrote a new constitution for the, the Russian Federation. In the Russian Federation, they kind of copied us, and they said, "Okay, now we don't have a general secretary of the Communist Party." We're going to have a president, but the president only has two terms, like in America. What happened when he finished his second term? What, what did Putin do? He made his lackey, Medvedev, the pretend president, while he slid in to the prime minister slot beneath him. He allowed Medvedev to pretend that he was the guy in charge. When his first term ended, he came back as the president and then changed the constitution so he could be the president forever. I mean, this is what we're talking about. This, is, this isn't the Soviet Union, but it's a one-party state. And if you don't like him, if you write nasty things about him, just look up, just you know, go to Google and look up journalists killed 
by Putin. If you write nasty things like Poliskaya, the, the brave female journalist who wrote about corruption in, in the Putin Kremlin, uh, one morning you will be found dead on your doorstep with two nine millimeter bullet holes in your brain cavity. I mean, this is what he does. If, if you're a successful businessman like Khodorkovsky, who decides to found a political party and run against Putin, oh, interesting, what happens? The Russian IRS arrives at your company headquarters, accuses you of tax embezzlement, and then you get a 20-year sentence in a Siberian labor camp. I mean, <laughs> nothing's really changed. I mean, they've changed the flag. But it's it's still an empire, and now it's run by a president who is quote unquote elected. Mm. Okay, now Nord Stream pipeline. Yes, one and two. Some people saying Putin did it. Some people saying Biden did it. Who did it? Well, look, Biden's scared of Putin. The the idea that we're going to put in, you know, UDT SEAL teams. Uh, under the Baltic Sea and put put an explosive device on there. He's like, I, 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 seriously, the guy who's afraid of Putin is going to blow up a Russian pipeline? No. Um, I, I don't have the evidence. I haven't swum 300 feet under the Baltic Sea to look at the forensic, you know, debris. But I always ask the same question, cui bono, the Latin question, who profits? Who profits from an act is very likely the person who is responsible for the act. Now, first things first, the, the pipeline was shut down. B because of the war, Europe wasn't receiving natural gas from the Nord Stream 2. It was beneath 20% capacity. Putin so, said it was, it was under construction, but go ahead. Well, no, it depends which pipeline, one or two, but, one. but this pipeline wasn't functioning. Then um, you've got to ask the question, what happened just before the explosion? One very, very big thing happened just before the explosion. For the first time since 1945, the Kremlin instigated the draft. So they decided to have mass mobilization of conscripts. They haven't done that since the end of World War II. Why? Because it ain't going too well in Ukraine. If you look at the figures, the unclassified figures, the best comes out of the UK, they have lost between 20 and 40,000 soldiers. Now, okay. now, let's just do a little bit of math. When they invaded Afghanistan, after 10 years of fighting in Afghanistan, yeah. the then Soviet Union lost 25,000 soldiers. In a decade in Afghanistan, they've lost maybe twice that in eight months. This should have been a cakewalk. Putin thought it was a cakewalk. Even our fat, Chairman of the Joint Chiefs, Mark Milley, said on Capitol Hill, yeah, I think they're going to take Kiev in 72 hours. The Chairman of the Joint Chiefs said they're going to take the capital of Ukraine in three days. We are nine months later, and Ukrainian forces just recaptured territory four days ago from the Russians. This is a nation, if you do the, there are international tables of military power, According to the international measurements, Russia was ranked either second or third in military power in the world. So we're number one, and then China is number two, or, or Russia, depending on how you count it. So Russia was you know, just, just under us in terms of military might at the beginning of the Ukrainian war. Ukraine, on the same table of military might, was ranked 22nd. So a nation that is 20 positions beneath you 
in military power has fought you to a literal standstill in nine months. And so he has to think of something. He initiates the draft. People in Russia are saying, what? You're having demonstrations of young anti-war, pro-democracy kids on the streets who are getting beaten up, who are getting put in prison. What does he need? What does an autocrat need when things are going really crappily at home? The same thing that Hitler needed. You need a scapegoat. You need an event. You need the Reichstag fire. You need to oh, point out the devious Jews. You need to point out the devious Europeans. So it doesn't cost him to blow up a pipeline that isn't working. And then as soon as he blows it up, what can he say to the people in his country who are unhappy with him? Oh, look, look what the West just did. You're on my side, right? You don't want to lose the war to these guys who are sabotaging your pipeline. It's a classic, classic tactic. And one more piece of really important evidence. How did Putin become president? Because Putin was a nobody. No, no, nobody knew who Putin was. He was the deputy mayor of St. Petersburg, okay? He, he, he worked for his former law school professor as his chief of staff in St. Petersburg. And then suddenly, Yeltsin, the then president, is worried that he's going to lose power and all of the corruption that he was responsible for will lead to uh, investigation of his family. So what does Yeltsin do? Yeltsin says, oh, you used to work for the KGB, right? And you were really loyal to your buddy, that law professor, who was the mayor of St. Petersburg. You're a very loyal chap, aren't you? And he designated, made, just literally made, Vladimir Putin the prime minister of Russia. And he said to him, Look, I, I have to get out of here. I'm, I'm, I've got liver cirrhosis. Uh, I, I've only got two terms. I've got to leave. I'm going to anoint you as the next president. You will be my recommendation to the Russian people. And what happens just before the election? A tower block in Moscow is blown up. And it is blamed on the Muslim Chechen separatists. Another tower block in another city. Something suspicious is occurring at 2 a.m. You can read about all this. And the residents of the tower block find a bomb underneath the tower block, and Russian state security officials in the basement. The FSB, the follower of the KGB, the new KGB, says, oh, 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 we weren't planting a bomb in a Russian. We would never kill Russians. It was a training exercise. That's not a real bomb. Most observers today will tell you the evidence is clear. The first Moscow bombing that killed Russians was actually an inside job by the FSB. And the second bombing they caught them red-handed, and they said, these are not the droids you're looking for. This is just a training exercise. The point of the story is a very simple one. Not only is a murderer, thug, and a, you know, a, a nasty piece of work, he has form. He has a track record of false flag operations to maintain his power. Now, this time, he didn't kill any Russians. He didn't blow up an apartment block. 
but it's very, very likely in terms of the profit that accrued to him politically back home that it was the Kremlin and it was Putin that blew up the Nord Stream pipeline. Now, look, let's wait for the full evidence. But in terms of who profited, the guy who profited the most was Putin. Okay, so, you know, conspiracy theorists have a lot to say about that day in New York City. I don't know what to believe. You know, I see one people say nothing. It's above my pay grade. Now, was that a FF, a, a false flag, or did, or was that really Al Qaeda and Bin Laden in them? Look, I just filmed a, a 90 minute documentary on 9-11. I have a, a new TV show that we're filming right now. And it's about destroying conspiracy theories that are garbage. Uh, we, we, we started with episode one was the, the most famous one about, we didn't really go to the moon. It was filmed in a movie staged by Stanley Kubrick. So I, I destroyed that one. But when it comes to 9-11, look, this is my backyard. I've been studying and, and teaching counterterrorism and publishing on counterterrorism for more than 20 years. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was bin Laden for, for a couple of reasons. Number one, it's not a controlled detonation. Do you know, I, I did the math on the show, to do a controlled detonation of a 110-story building twice, because there's two towers, you would need nine months of preparation and 10 miles of debt cord. You would need to have hundreds of guys lugging detonation cord up the, all the 110 stories, plugging it into the charges, preparing the building, and then blowing it. Yeah, sorry, you're telling me that for 10 months, nobody saw anything and 10 miles of detonation cord hanging out of the ceiling of an office with 40,000 people in it didn't raise any suspicion? No, it wasn't a controlled detonation. Secondly, if it's bin Laden being scapegoated, why did he admit to it? Just before the second election for George Bush in 2004, bin Laden issued a declaration on video where he took responsibility. This is the guy who's being hunted by steel teams in the mountains of Afghanistan. If he didn't do it, he would have, you know, he would have done what you know, Lee Harvey Oswald did when he was being taken out of the parking garage, uh, you know, in, 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 uh, by the Texas uh, you know, police officers and said, I'm a patsy, I didn't do it. Mm, yeah. Not only did he not say, I'm a patsy, I didn't do it. He said, yeah, I'm sorry, we did it because you deserved it because, you know, you declared war on Islam. So mm. I don't know how to go through it, but watch the show, it'll be out next year, God willing. But no, it was done by a bunch of people who declared war twice. Bin Laden, prior to 9-11, declared war twice on America in his fatwas. You can read them. And let's not forget, in 1993, he already tried it once with that trunk bomb, the first World Trade Center bombing. Mm -hmm. He already tried it, and he came back seven years later with another plan to use uh, aircraft. So, yeah, it was, you know, false flag operations exist. But 9-11 was not a false flag operation. Well, you're the expert here. I got to defer to your expertise. If you say that's the official, you done did the math. Hey, that's, that is what it is. Let's get back to Ukraine. Yeah. Um, AKA little Russia. Um, Don't say that. Ukrainians do not like that. Really? Yeah, of course not. Why, why, why would, because that's a justification for invasion. I mean, if you do the history, if anybody has the right to invade another nation, it's, it's the Ukraine, the Rusland, the Duchy of Moscovy. Russia 
was created after Ukraine. Ukraine existed long before Russia ever was created. So no, no, no. You're talking the about Kiev. Very proud that they are a nation. It is Putin who said, oh no, you're, you're illegitimate. You're just like Poland. You're, you're a made up country. No, 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 don't, don't ever say little Russia to a Ukrainian because that's, uh, that, that, those are fighting words to the people of Kiev. Oh, wow. Okay, good advice. Didn't know that. Um, however, that region at one point was referred to as little Russia. Well, yeah, by by Russians, by by by, Krem, by the Kremlin, yeah. Oh, okay. oh, the whole region, the whole region, the whole Central European region that was sucked into the Soviet Union during World War II and after World War II, they call that. This, 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 if you really want to piss off everybody from from Estonia all the way down, the, you use the Russian phrase. The Russian phrase is the near abroad, the near abroad. They mm. they think own it. Mm. Mm, interesting. Okay, so this Zelensky character, right? The conspiracy theorists say, you know, he was a reality TV star and he's really a patsy and a, a, a puppet installed. Is, is there any validity to those conspiracy theories? Well, he's not a reality star. He was a very successful comedian. He had a very successful TV show. He's a small Jewish stand-up comedian who... Um, is, is very brave as far as I'm concerned. Look, don't, don't get me wrong, okay? I worked for President Trump and I understand, you know, the problems with Ukraine. We, we understand the corruption in that country. Hunter Biden and his $83,000 a month from the corrupt Burisma oil company, yeah. Hillary Clinton in, with Uranium One. Yeah, uranium One, you name it. You know, I lived in the region for 15 years. After the fall of communism, I lived in Central Europe for 15 years. So I could tell you stories about corruption in the region. But Zelensky himself is not a bad guy. And I'll tell you why he's not a bad guy. Remember when the Russians invaded, illegally invaded, and, and the, the, the coward in the White House actually told Zelensky, hey, um, I can send you a plane. Why don't you just escape? Why don't you leave the country you swore to defend and you were elected to be the president of and Biden said, hey, I'll send you a plane right now and you can run away like a little girl. What did Zelensky say? I mean, the balls on this guy, he may be what, you know, five foot four, but he's got the balls the size of you know, Manhattan. He said, I don't need a ride. I need ammunition. This is, this is a serious dude. And, and he didn't run. He stayed there. He put on his, you know, green military T-shirt and he decided to fight. This is their 1776. You know, the, if, if the Revolutionary War in America means something to Americans, you know, fighting the imperial forces of Britain to become independent, well, guess what? 1776 is happening right now in Ukraine. They're fighting for their independence. And when it comes to supporting them, I, you know, not, I'm not talking about sending troops because that's not our job. We should support them, not with money. Ukraine doesn't need money because that's just going to be siphoned off by, you know, Hunter Biden's buddies. They need ammunition. They need weapons. And, and don't forget, America would be part of the British Commonwealth today if other countries hadn't helped the revolutionaries. We, we like to kind of sweep this under the carpet, but the French government in the 1770s and 1780s provided very serious support, naval support, 
financial support to the revolutionaries in America. And without French support, the British would have won and it would still be a colony. So, no, Zelensky, good guy. A lot of corruption in Ukraine, absolutely. But they are fighting for their independence and they have every right to do so. Don't they got Nazis over there? And I think they call it the Azov Battalion or something like that. There was an Azov battalion that was uh, neo-nationalist and prided themselves in connections to Stephen Bandera, who was a, a, a Nazi collaborator in World War II. But the Azov battalion has been purged. It has been integrated into the regular fighting forces of Ukraine. But it's a great talking point for, for the Kremlin. But no, every nation has racists. Every nation has to deal with those racists. Uh, and the Azov Battalion was a problem when it was an independent militia. It is no longer an independent militia. It was purged of the bad guys who were kicked out, and it is now under the control of the Ukrainian forces and has been uh, integrated into the regular Russian, uh, the regular Ukrainian army. So yeah, there, there's a little bit of smoke there from past history, but there's no fire today. And the idea, I mean, think about it. He's Jewish. I mean, can we stop sm stop smoking crack pipes? Are you telling me that the, com the little Jewish comedian uh, president of Ukraine is in league with Nazis that want to kill him? It doesn't pass the sniff test. Mm, mm, okay. Um, but I, you know, I really appreciate you asking these questions because there's so much uh, disinformation and misinformation yeah, out I don't, there. I don't know. I don't know what's real. You know, I brought you on because you the expert, you know, you deputy assistant to the president. You you know all this stuff. This is why I brought you on. You, you're educating me. The question I have stems back to something you said earlier. You said Ukraine has um, created a, a large burden in under eight months to uh, Russian forces. Isn't that because of the endless pocketbook of the United States aid? It, it's a couple of things. I would say if you reverse that formula, I, I, would, I would say it's correct, meaning they wouldn't have had the success they've had without all the foreign aid. And, I, and not just American foreign aid. I would say the British. The British stepped up to the plate first, and they gave them serious, serious aid. So without that aid, uh, it would have been, yeah, we'd be in a very different place today. However, it's not just the aid. Let's go back in history. In the 1920s and 30s, Stalin, in something called the Holomador, killed, murdered. He actually murdered. He starved to death an estimated 8 million Ukrainians. The Ukrainians have never forgotten that, that the idea that Moscow, that the Kremlin, you know, that place that caused them little Russia literally murdered 8 million Ukrainian nationals is something the Ukrainians will never forget. As a result, you know, they will fight to the last 10-year-old kid, you know, who's holding an AK-47. They, they will fight to the last grandmother who's holding a pointy, sharpened stick because they will never, ever give in to Russian invaders. So, you know, yes, the assistance is crucial. It is helping them, especially not, not the cash, but actual military aid in terms of weaponry and intelligence uh, to target the Russians. But the Ukrainians, it's like, you know, it's like so if somebody invades your house, I, I would hope you'd fight until the last death in your body, the last breath in your body. 
And that's what they're doing right now. The Ukrainians are fighting to protect their home, their house, and they're going to fight for whatever it takes. If, if they have to be doing guerrilla warfare against Russian units 20 years from now, uh, they will be doing it, just like the Afghans did against the Soviets in Afghanistan all through the 1980s. Don't invade somebody's backyard, kill civilians, and say that you're liberating them, because they'll be even more pissed. I mean, the, 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 the reports in just the last four days of mass graves being discovered in Ukraine, where whole families were literally tied together with wire, not just the guy, not just the men, not just the military-age men, the fathers, the mothers, the children were bound with wire, shot and dumped into a mass grave. We're already finding them. Don't, don't listen to me. Go to the Daily Mail. Go to the New York Post. Don't listen to the New York Times or Fox News. Go to international, British, established, whatever publications, and you will find that the Russians are... I mean, look, look at what happened in response to, the, to blowing up the, the Kerch Bridge the land connection between Crimea and Russia. Yeah. What did Russia do? Russia didn't you know, deploy military assets to fight the Russian military. They shelled you, Kiev. Yeah. I mean, that shocking video of that 19-year-old girl who's you know, FaceTiming or whatever in Kiev, and then suddenly there's this massive orange explosion behind her. That's a civilian girl on the streets of Kiev. That's what Russians do. They're bombing, they're using... How about this? Iranian drones to bomb civilian centers like Kiev right now. As far as I'm concerned, that's not what quote-unquote liberators do. Okay, so why is this U.S. business? What do you mean? I, you know, it oh, sounds oh, why, like... Why, why, why we care? Yeah. 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 So, so a couple of things. Um, because I'm paying for it, right? They they yeah. sent, you know, I think yeah. they're up to about $25 trillion they didn't sent to Zelensky. Zelensky got an endless pocketbook. He's riding around and Fendi and Gucci on and Louis Vuitton. He's dripped down. So, you know, when, when you were at school, what were you? Were, were you a jock? Were you a nerd? What were you? I was a jock and a nerd. Oh, a jock and good. I was a hybrid. Um, you, must, you must have known some bullies, right? Yes. School. Yes. What happens when a bully doesn't get challenged? Um, it becomes grotesque. Yeah, he just keeps on bullying, yeah. right? If a bully, you know, if one day the jock or the nerd who, or whoever it is doesn't give that bully a nice whack on the nose, he keeps on bullying. Yeah. And the, the, the simplest, most effective argument is this guy is a bully. Mm. And bullies destabilizing Europe is not a good thing for anybody. This is, we are, we are in a globalized world. You don't have to like it, but it's a fact, okay? Your trainers are made in China. You know, the, the French bread that you like comes from France, okay? So, you know, your, your, your iPhone is made with rare earth minerals from Africa. That's the world. The world is globalized. The idea that you can just ignore stuff and get on with your life uh, is, is insane. And, and the fact is, Ukraine is not a member of NATO, but Ukraine is right next to NATO members, like Poland, 
like the Baltic states, who are members of a club that, guess what, we, America, created. In 1949, April 4th, 1949, America signed the Washington Treaty that created the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, NATO. We said good countries like England, like the UK, like America, like France, should come together in an alliance to stop bad people like the Soviet Union. That club still exists. And we have buddies in that club that we have sworn to protect, including Poland, including Estonia. And these are nations that Vladimir Putin has said have no right to exist. He, have been, he has been giving speeches since he became uh, president in 2002, saying that the nation of Ukraine, of Poland, of the Baltic states are fake states. They should all belong to Russia. So the idea that he's just going to stop with Ukraine, no, he's going to pile. If he can, if he can win in Ukraine, he's going to pile into Poland. He's going to pile in to the Baltic states that we have a contractual obligation to as members of the organization we created. So if we don't stop him now, it's going to get much, much worse. Secondly, there's, you know, and I'm not for intervention. I'm not interested in sending the 82nd Airborne to Ukraine. But there's a moral component, and the moral component is a very simple one. If 1776 means something, if your freedom is good, well, guess what? Other people should be free as well. Mm. We don't have to make them free. We don't have to fight for them. They should fight for themselves. But if they need a hand, if they need some ammunition, if they need some satellite imagery of a Russian tank column, if 1776 and our freedom is important, guess what? So is the freedom of other people in other countries. And if possible, within limits, and I, I get this, you know, with an open border, with, with fentanyl, with, with, with crime on the streets of New York, I get it. But there's still a moral component. People fighting for their freedom against dictators it's a good thing, and America has to take a side. You don't have to get involved with your own troops, but you have to take a side. And at the end of the day, look, don't, don't get me wrong. I am not in favor of pallets of cash going to Ukraine. Mm -mm. That is a recipe for Hunter Biden and his daddy to get more money. I'm not interested in cash. I'm interested in ammunition, in intelligence target sets. And the biggest thing that we help them with which didn't cost a lot of money, you're not talking about billions of dollars, were the shoulder-launched anti-tank uh, missiles, right? I mean, you know, we gave them, we gave them the, the man pads, we gave them uh, the shoulder-launched anti-tank weapons that basically stopped the Russian tanks from going down the street. That's a pretty cool thing to do, and that's similar to what the French did for us in 1776. So Russia is a problem, for everyone sooner or later. And that's why we should care about Ukraine at least a little bit. Okay, I have a two-part question for you. Um, first, is it safe to assume that you're anti-globalist and globalism? Uh, as, as the son of a, of a man who was tortured by communists who are the ultimate globalists, yeah. I think people like George Soros, Karl Schwab, the globalists like Bill Gates, bad dudes, absolutely.
But isn't NATO part of that? No, no, NATO isn't part of, of, of globalization because the important thing about NATO is NATO has something called the North Atlantic Treaty Alliance, uh, has something as a result of the, of the treaty, has the North Atlantic Council. The decision-making body of NATO is a council with one ambassador from every country. So there's an American ambassador, there's a Polish ambassador, there's a German ambassador. And guess what? There's an Estonian ambassador. There's a Lithuanian ambassador. Tiny, 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 tiny countries with just a few million inhabitants have the same vote in the North Atlantic Council that America does with 330 million, which means every nation has a say in what NATO does. Nobody, nobody can be steamrolled, okay? This is the problem with things like the European Union, where there's nothing like that, where a faceless bureaucrat in Brussels will make a decision that affects everybody in the European Union. That doesn't happen in NATO, okay? And also, uh, NATO uh, is very specifically limited to one part of the world. It's not the globe. You're talking about globalization, right? Yeah. Africa, Europe, Asia. NATO is just about 27 countries in uh, Western Europe and America and Canada. It's very delimited and it's very specific. It's defense, collective defense, and everybody has a veto vote. Even, even the ambassador for little old Lithuania can stop NATO if he says no in his vote at the North Atlantic Council. So the sovereign, the, the thing that's so important to us anti-globalists, which is the sovereignty of our nation, still functions at the highest level of NATO because every nation can say, uh-uh, sorry, we're not doing this. Interesting. Okay, now you mentioned bullies, right? And um, China, Taiwan, um, some people will perceive that as bullying, right? Do you think we should intervene there or is that a, a, a Asian problem? We, we, we have to make it as hard as possible for Taiwan to be invaded. It's not our job to protect Taiwan, which is you know the insanity of what Biden has said recently, which is in fact not true. He said, we, we will use military assets to protect Taiwan. No, no. We, we have no NATO. There's no Article 5 treaty obligation to protect Taiwan. Taiwan needs to be free, and we need to help it prevent any kind of invasion from China but it's a, it's a slightly different level of commitment to, to Europe. China is bad, absolutely. And, and Taiwan is just one slice of the problem. I mean, what China is doing to, the, to our banking system, to information in America, what it's doing with regards to you know, the Confucian institutions in, in, in high schools and in colleges. Yeah, it is our number, the number one threat. This is what I learned when I was in the White House, because my thing was counterterrorism. But I realized once I got the clearances, was reading the president's daily intelligence briefing. The biggest threat we face is China, and Taiwan is just a small part of the puzzle. But we, we just have to make Taiwan a hedgehog that, that China would think twice about invading. If we can make it a hedgehog or a porcupine with too many you know, prickers on it, then, then that's good enough. Now, some other people would say that United States is a bully. You don't think the United States is a bully, has ever been a bully? Look, uh, I'm not going to deny that, that every nation has done bad things, uh, whether it's the way that indigenous tribes are treated in America or whether it's 
uh, you know, Democrat slaveholders, the KKK, the Democrat terrorist organization was the KKK, absolutely. But to say that, you know, like Noam Chomsky, that cretin who calls us an empire or Michael Moore, what kind of empire uses military force in another country like Afghanistan after 9-11 or Iraq after 9-11 and then leaves? That, that's really weird. I, I, you know, bullies like to always be in control. After we dealt with al-Qaeda after 9-11, after we killed you know, bin Laden, after we got rid of Saddam Hussein because we deemed it to be in our national interest to do so, what did we do? We allowed the Afghans, we allowed the I Iraqis to hold elections for their own government. Iraq and Afghanistan aren't being run by you know, American pro-consuls. There isn't some general that's you know, running Afghanistan today, we left. Bullies don't do that. Now, we have great power, and we may have looked like an empire to many, but we don't install our own governments like the Soviet Union did. We allow the people to choose their own governments, and then we leave. So I would say that's a very weird bully when you decide to leave and let the people choose their own future. But what about Libya and the murder of Muammar Gaddafi and his grandchildren? Yeah, Li Lib Libya, I'm not going to justify because Libya was <laughs> Obama and Libya was, was, you know, Hillary Clinton. I mean, that, that unbelievable yeah, Secretary of State. Thing, you know, laughing, laughing, as she said about Muammar Gaddafi in Libya, we came, we, we, we conquered and we killed him, right? I mean, that's like, that's like perverse. That, that, is, that is bully boy tactics. But you're talking about a Democrat administration, and that was a mess. Look, again, I'm, I'm never going to make apologies for Muammar Gaddafi. Muammar Gaddafi was a terrorist. I mean, he actually financed Muslim terrorists who were attacking America. Muammar Gaddafi was a, a thug, a murderer, just like Putin, but a much weaker one. So, you know... Ideally, the Libyans should have got rid of him himself. Well, they did, if you watch that, that video of, of Libyans uh, uh, killing uh, Gaddafi. But the way the Democrats did it back then, not good at all. And it actually eventually helped ISIS. Mm. Yeah, you know, that's, that's what I think about. You know, when you mentioned bully, I'm like, you know, United States got a couple of blemishes looking like a bully too. So who really get to decide what bully gets to exist and what bully don't get to exist. You know, if if Putin want to kick some Ukrainian ass and we didn't kick some Libyan ass, it's like who gets to be the arbiter of justice? Is it us? Great question. So here's how I, I separate. Um, when we do something in Libya or we do something like that in Libya, we recognize that it's wrong. When Putin does something like he's doing in Ukraine, he never says it's wrong. No, no, nobody says it's wrong. The idea that we are, we are morally... Our system is predicated on liberty and freedom. When we make a mistake or we do something bad or we do something that looks like a bully, we, we recognize it and we snap back and we go back and we say, sorry, that was wrong. Hillary Clinton... Obama were wrong. Putin, that's what it's about. 
It's, 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 that's the nature of the beast. Look, th nobody should be surprised about what's happening in Ukraine. In 1941 in Poland, this, they, they, they denied this until 2008 or something. The, K, the uh, NKVD, the military uh, intelligence uh, of the Soviet Union, murdered 21,000 Poles in Katyn Forest. It's the biggest you know, massacre by the Soviets in, in one weekend. 21,000 unarmed Poles were shot and thrown into mass graves in Katyn Forest. It's K-A-T-Y-N, Katyn Forest. The thing about Katyn Forest and the mass graves in Ukraine today is that they are the modus operandi. That is what Russia does. When we do something like killing Muammar Gaddafi's grandchildren, we have to fess up to being wrong about it. We have to say that shouldn't have happened. That's not our modus operandi. For Russia, that's an SOP. That's a standard operating procedure. Tie the family together with wire, shoot them each in the head, and dump them into the grave. That's not the American way. We, when we do that, it's the anomaly. How do we know it's the anomaly? Because when we go into somewhere like Afghanistan after 9-11, what happens? When we've done our business, we say, OK, we've destroyed al-Qaeda, we've destroyed ISIS, and we leave and we say, it's up to you now, guys. The Afghans have to take responsibility and we have to have you elect your leaders. Putin wants to have his guy running Ukraine forever. That's very different. Mm. Mm. Interesting. I'm going to get the super chats. I appreciate those super chatters. We about to get right to you. I want to talk about communism. As we start to wind down uh, here, about maybe till eleven uh, thirty, so that's a good hour and a half. So let's do an, let's do uh, some questions. Yeah, we'll we'll stop in about fifteen minutes. Good yes. idea. Yeah, um, communism is really bad. Can you talk to me about? We had czarist Russia. They went in and they murdered the czar. Allegedly murdered his family. And then this interim government comes in under, um, well, following the Bolshevik revolution, the Bolsheviks lose their, um, lose the election. My question to you is, wasn't life better in Russia under the czar than it was under communist Russia or Soviet Russia? <laughs> you'd, you'd, ha you'd have to ask a, a Russian. You'd have to... <laughs> Ask a Russian, and then you'd have to go back in time to the 19th century. Look, uh, uh, Tsarist Russia was not a nice place to live. It, it, was a, it was a feudal empire. It was some very, very wealthy, rich people, the nobility, um, some kind of proto-bourgeoisie in big cities like St. Petersburg. And then it was peasants. I mean, it was you know, people without shoes who had no property. And whatever they grew had to be given to the, the landlord and the local aristocracy. Yes. Um, was it as bad as the Soviet Union? No, because there were no death camps. Uh, yeah, these, these are gradations of crap. It was crap under Tsarist Russia, mm -hmm. but at least you, you, you wouldn't be disappeared 
into a gulag, into one of the hundreds of gulags of the gulag archipelago that Solzhenitsyn writes about. And, and you wouldn't have, you know, people who said the wrong things politically wouldn't be shot. That's the, that's the difference. It became a, 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 an imperial system turned into a totalitarian one where the government controlled everything. As a peasant, you can, you can grow your potatoes and drink a bit of vodka, but in, in, in the Soviet system, everything was controlled. If, if you said the wrong thing, if you made a joke and it was the wrong joke, your kid wouldn't go to college. And if the joke was about Stalin, you'd be shot. So it's, 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 it's gradations of bad. It's mm. you know, feudal imperialism and then totalitarianism. None of them were good, but let's be clear about the Stalinist regime. If you read the Black Book of Communism, it's very clear. You, you have these secular liberals who say, oh, religion is bad and capitalism is bad. There's only one ideology in human history that has cost the lives of 100 million people, uh, and it's Marx. It's Karl Marx's socialist and communist utopia. The Black Book of Communism was written by French socialist left-wing historians who said, let's sit down and let's do a spreadsheet of all communism in the 20th century, from Russia to Cambodia, from Poland to Vietnam, and let's look at how bad it was. And they found out as they were doing the research, they did the tallies, 100 million people killed in the name of communism. In Cambodia, under the Khmer Rouge, between 20 and 35% of the population of Cambodia were killed by the communist Khmer Rouge. I mean, it doesn't matter where you go. I mean, and China, China, the estimates are, I mean, the Holocaust is horrific. Six million Jews. How many people were killed by Mao? Chinese people, 60 million. I mean, you, you can't even get your head around that. In the name of workers' paradise, 60 million human beings were murdered by their own government. That's the reality of the Soviet Union and communism across the globe. When you mention this thing about Stalin and jokes, and it just reminds me of cancel culture. Like, for, for example, today, if I were to talk about certain ethnic groups in America, Yep. I might not be able to have a livelihood. <laughs> you know, I might. But just... it's real. I mean, I mean, ca cancel culture is, is utterly real. And, and it's not just cancel culture. It's much worse than cancel culture. I mean, you know, Gina, Gina Carano, who's been on my show a couple of times, the most popular character whose face you can actually see in The Mandalorian, because The Mandalorian, you couldn't see his face. The most popular actor on the show whose face you can see is Gina Carano. And she's a ballsy woman, and she's great. And when she posted on Instagram, what was it, two years ago, and she's working for Disney, she posted a photograph of a, a woman um, in her underwear being chased down the street by her German fascist neighbor. And in the text of the Instagram post, she said, you know, the Third Reich, and I'm paraphrasing, she said, the Third Reich didn't begin with, with uh, labor camps and death camps. They didn't start with the Holocaust. They didn't start with World War II. The Third Reich started with neighbors 
dehumanizing neighbors. Bingo. Now, that's what got her fired from Disney. That one Instagram post mm. by the popular character in The Mandalorian, outside of The Mandalorian, got her canceled instantly. She's uh, referring she, to um, the Pograms. I recommend you check out the interview she did on my show, America First. Mm. But she's absolutely right. But it's not just losing your job. I mean, really, that losing your job? What happened to Mark Haug just 10 days ago? A pro-life father of seven who, when he's at a vigil at an abortion clinic, which is the new Holocaust. I mean, if you listen to Kanye's statements, whatever he tweeted yesterday, you know, he tweeted yesterday, but his statements with Tucker Carlson are factual. Four out of 10 black babies in New York are aborted. That's a Holocaust, okay? When Planned Parenthood clinics are being specifically built in black housing project areas to target black American pregnant women, that's a new Holocaust. Mm. Mark Hauck stands outside of Planned Parenthood with his 12-year-old son in a prayerful vigil for the unborn, trying to save them. And some sicko Planned Parenthood pro-abortion lunatic comes up to his 12-year-old son and starts screaming obscenities in his face, effing and blinding in the face of a 12-year-old child. And like every decent father, Mr. Haug just pushes him away and says, get away from my kid. Yeah. And the guy falls down. He's allegedly, you know, charged with a misdemeanor assault. The local court, the local court in Pennsylvania says, nah, sorry, he was abusing your, 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 your kid. We're not going to charge you. And then a year and a half later, the FBI arrives at his doorstep in ceramic-plated body armor with loaded M4s pointed at his wife as his seven children are screaming, don't take our daddy, don't take our daddy. I mean, forget cancel culture. A pro-life father of seven is arrested on a misdemeanor assault charge that was dismissed in a local court because Biden's FBI is now a Gestapo. I mean, this, I invented this about a month ago, and my producer on my radio show said, Seb, that's too much. It's too edgy. And my, my producer is a hardcore conservative. This product at my website is now the, we can't make this fast enough. The, the mugs and T-shirts that I designed that say uh, Joe Biden's Gestapo, the FBI, from Nazi Germany to America in 80 years, is the hottest thing at SebGorkaStore.com. Mm. Why? Because it's true. We have a political police force in America called the FBI that I've worked with for years. This is tough for me because I train these guys. I've trained thousands of FBI agents on ISIS and Al-Qaeda. This is what they are today. And we started the conversation with some shocking news. The FBI offered a $1 million bounty against President Trump for dirt on a man elected by 64 million Americans. Yeah. So, yeah, cancel culture is real. 
but it's getting a little bit more serious than you know losing your Twitter account. What about what about Kanye's comments from the now deleted tweet? He'd been getting a lot of heck. The ADL then came out. I think SPLC. Everybody like, yo, this is you know anti-Semitism and all of that. You're talking about Kanye? Yeah. Yeah. Look, I, I watched the original um, Tucker Carlson interview, mm. and he's <laughs> Kanye is a weird guy. He, as we, as the Hungarians say, he's got an. He's got an extra cog up here. He's got an extra wheel up in his machine. Uh, and and he's, he's clearly a clever guy, but he's also, his thought patterns are a little unusual. And when he went off on that weird riff, I mean, Tucker was talking to him about abortion and cattle culture. And then he goes on this thing about Jared Kushner's brother, Josh, mm-hmm. and starts slamming the Kushners. I have no idea what that's about. He mm-hmm. completely lost me there. Mm-hmm. I think that there may be some beef between him and the Kushners, who we know are Orthodox Jews, and maybe that's why he wrote that tweet. Mm. Uh, it's, it's unfortunate because he represented what? Uh, a black man who thinks for himself, a black man who's prepared to go into the Oval Office and put on a red MAGA hat, who tells the truth about the black genocide of the unborn, and who uses phrases in that interview with Tucker, he uses the phrase fascist liberals, which is right. I mean, the Democrat Party are about, the, you, know, you know, the real threat to America, it's not conservative fascists, because there aren't any. There may be maybe a few toothless wonders in the, in, in, in the countryside, but the real fascists are the Democrats. So God bless him for saying that. But that whole tweet, uh, he needs to get some help, seriously. Mm. All right, let's get into Super Chats. Jeff Curtis says, I want to hear Seb's best story about communism in Hungary. What is the stupidest thing he ever saw the communists do? (laughs) Wow, how many hours have you got? (laughs) The stupidest thing I ever saw a communist do. Well, you know. Or absurd, or absurd, or out of bounds. I could I could talk about the fact that under communism it would take more than ten years to get a phone line. <laughs> you know, th- this is supposed to be a superpower, and you'd have to register, you'd have to apply, and it would take a decade. Unless you know you knew somebody in the party, and then you get one the same day. But a phone line would take you a decade. If you wanted to order a car, a crappy car, you know, a Soviet larder, exactly the same thing. So it was just a system that had to collapse sooner or later. But there was a a, a lot of stupid stuff out there. uh, And I don't have long enough to share with you. But I've written three books so far in my life. Uh, you You can read the stories of my first, you know, 52 years on this planet. The first one, the one that got me into the White House was defeating jihad. Then after I left the White House, I wrote a fun book called Why We Fight. And then the last one, which sadly is more relevant than ever, and they all have, they all have stories about my time in Hungary as well, is, um, is the war for America's soul. If, so if, 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 your, if your viewers and listeners want to check those out, you can get my books anywhere. Go to my website, sebgorka.com, S-E-B-G-O-R-K-A. And you'll have a lot of fun. You'll get angry by the end of it when you realize the threat to America, but you'll have a lot of fun as well. 
Boris Kofivievich said, uh, J.A. said it first. H.J., uh, one of the best interviewers now in the game. Thank you. Hey, I appreciate that, man. Hotep. Uh, J.A. said, tuition, peace and love to the chat. Hotep and build. F your channel said he is in his war on terror bag. Um, Thomas Marison, thank you for the super chat. Um, Seb, before I go, I just have to let you know. I need a favor, man. I, when, when you get back in the White House, can I get an invite? Can I come down and just kick it with y'all? Oh, oh yeah, if the, if the boss needs me back and if I'm crazy enough to go back in, we'll, we can do that. That's, that's not a problem. Yeah, put in a good word for Trump, man. Tell him Hope Tep Jesus is a good guy and I like him, man. We, yeah, we can get you back. If, if, if everybody does their job, Yeah. if we have fair elections... President Trump will be the 47th president as well as the 45th. And if uh, if you need to get into the White House, we can make that happen. My guy, my guy. I don't want a job because I can't do a job. Not yet. We'll, we'll get you a visit. We'll get you a tour of the West Wing. You'll see the bowling alley. We'll, we'll, we'll show you around. Yeah. Um, aliens? You seen any aliens? Do you, are there aliens? Aliens, yeah. I went to the border with Sheriff Mark Lamb. I see lots of aliens. <laughs> aliens but i haven't seen any aliens yet if i if i do you will be the first to know because ufos are out there dude i don't know who's flying them whether it's the chinese or the russians or you know little green men from beetlejuice but they're definitely out there okay all right so ufos are real we just don't know who's behind a steering wheel right no no unidentified flying objects yeah they're out there what they are don't know yet hmm Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Sebastian Gorka. Sebastian, Seb, Mr. Gorka, Dr. Gorka, thank you very much. All your links in the description box below where people can find you. Ladies and gentlemen, it's been another sharp conversation. I will see you again. Thank you.